many times when we hear the phrase the fear of the law you know we immediately think of that verse of scripture that says uh, the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and uh, we think of that phrase we say okay you know it means something some connection between the fear of god and the wisdom of god and and, and so on and uh, but i think we don't delve beyond that in understanding what the fear of the lord is so in the series of studies that we're going to do we're going to try to understand what does what does the bible mean when it talks about the fear of the lord and what should our response be how do we walk in the fear of god as a people of god so let's go to proverbs chapter 22 verse 4 we'll use this as our opening text proverbs chapter 22 and verse 4 the bible says by humility and the fear of the lord our riches and honor and life let's read this together by humility and the fear of the lord our riches honor and life our long life let's say it again by humility and the fear of the lord our riches honor and a long life so the bible is telling us you know you walk with a with a humble heart to walk in the fear of god and then here's what you can expect here on earth riches honor and a long life so that's a a wonderful promise that as we walk with walk in the fear of god to uh, that we can expect riches honor and a long life so let's try to understand what is the fear of god what is the fear of the lord when we say you know you have to have the fear of the lord or we are we are supposed to walk in the fear of the lord what does the bible mean what do we mean by the fear of the lord a good way to do it is to just get into the hebrew and the greek words and say what do these words mean so in the hebrew the word fear uh that is used in the context of the fear of the lord is the hebrew word yare which simply means to stand in awe so let's all say that together to stand in awe so when the bible is saying have the fear of god it's saying to stand in awe of god so this this under this concept of the fear of the lord is more than just a psychological dread of god you know or oh, i'm scared of god that if i don't go to church you know sunday the rest of the week is going to be bad now it's not that kind of a fear it's not a psychological fear of god it includes that it involves that kind of a fear of god that where you have a certain uh fear or dread of god but it doesn't limit that it isn't isn't that confined to it it's referring more to awe of god and you stand so much in awe of who god is his is his presence his power his position his majesty that it draws out of you a appropriate response amen that's the fear of the lord that you so stand in awe of god that you recognize his power and position and therefore you render to him the proper respect the proper response you know there are several examples that kind of really show us what the fear of the lord can do in our lives if you look at abraham in genesis chapter 22 i will read verse 12 genesis 22 was 12 you know at this point in abraham's life everything was going really good because by this time you know abraham had seen the fulfillment of the promise he had isaac uh he was successful in the world he had all the money he needed all the la- cattle the silver the gold uh he had seen the fulfillment he waited 25 years it was a long wait but now he saw the fulfillment of that promise isaac had been born everything was going really good now he was probably like okay now i can just relax enjoy the rest of my life 
until God decided to step in. And in Genesis 22, God says, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your son, your only son Isaac, go up to a mountain that I will show you, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. And all of a sudden, in a moment of time, all of Abraham's world seems to collapse right in front of him. Because his entire future was in Isaac. And now God is saying, take him, offer him as a sacrifice. Everything now is being disturbed. Everything is being shaken by this one command of God. Offer your son Isaac. How does Abraham respond to this? Genesis 22, the chapter describes what Abraham's response. He takes Isaac, he goes all the way up to the mountain. He's ready to offer Isaac the way God required him to. And then in verse 12, God steps in. And here's what God says. He says in Genesis 22 verse 12, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you, or the next two words, fear God. Now I know that you fear, that you stand in awe. You are overwhelmed with who I really am. That now you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. So God saying, Abraham, now I know that you really, really fear me. Meaning, now I know that you really hold me in such high regard that when I spoke into your life and I demanded something of you which is going to shake everything, you still implicitly obeyed me. It's a demonstration of your fear. Of how high, how much regard you have for who I am, is what God is saying. You stand in awe of me. So here's the point. The fear of God, standing in awe of God, is not just some you know, emotional thing that you and I say, you know, I fear God, you know, yes. But I think it goes beyond that. It brings us to a place of implicit obedience to God, willing to say yes to what God has asked of us, regardless of what the consequences of what its implications are in our lives. Amen? And God says, I want you to do this. You say, God, I hold you in such regard in my life. I stand in in awe of you. Because you asked that of me, I'll do it. Why did Abraham offer his son? Because he feared God. Amen? Another usage of the fear of the Lord in the book of Genesis in uh, chapter 28. Genesis 28. Here's the story of Jacob. He's uh, on the run. He's running away from his brother Esau. Uh, He's on the way to his uh, uncle Laban's place. And he spends the night at a motel. It's called the Starry Motel. Fresh, cool breeze. Uh, and, you know, other things. A rock for your pillow. And while he's in there, suddenly he has a dream. And he, he wakes up. He realizes, the, you know, the, yeah, he has an encounter with God. He has a dream. And here's what he says in, in verse 17 of Genesis 28. It says, and he was afraid, the Hebrew word Yare, and said how awesome, again the same word Yare, how awesome, how fearful. There is an overwhelming sense of the presence of God. It's very fearful how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So here's another word, here's another situation where the word of fear, the fear of God is used. But it is used in the context of God's presence. Jacob is so overwhelmed by the presence of God. He's saying, 
You know, the fear of God is, fills this atmosphere, this filling this place. It's awesome. Meaning it's so fearful. Amen. And that's how it should be when we encounter the presence of God. When we come in to worship God, it should be in one of one respect, an encounter with a fearful presence of God, with the awesome presence of God. It should cause that kind of a reaction in us. God is here. The fear of God grips our hearts. Amen. That was Jacob's response. He said, God is in this place. Therefore, this, this is fearful. There's, a, there's, a, there's something that causes me to stand in awe of this God. And that's how you and I would, res- and you and I would also respond similarly with the fear of God. When we see God do something amazing. I mean, Rajat was sharing his testimony a little earlier. And I'm sure that when all this came together, he, he must have just stood and said, Wow, God, I just salute you. I stand in awe of you. I mean, like this is beyond my wildest dreams. I just stand in awe of this God. And what would it do? Now it is going, this testimony, this experience in his life is going to prepare him to believe God, not for 50%. Next time he say, God, the whole 100%. I don't know where he is. Somewhere. <laughs> Amen, Rajat. I mean, this is going to move him to believe God even more. Amen. An encounter with the works of God. And that's exactly what happened to the people of Israel. If you go to chapter 14 of uh, Genesis, of Exodus, um, they had this encounter with God in the 14th chapter of Exodus. Uh, God had just brought them out of Egypt, got them in front of the Red Sea. They thought they were trapped for a moment. And right in front of their eyes, the Red Sea parts, the entire nation of Israel walks across, walks through on dry land. And then they turn back and they see the entire Egyptian army drown in the sea. It causes this overwhelming response in them. In the 14th chapter of Exodus, verse 31, it says, Thus Israel saw the great work the Lord had done in Egypt. Thus Rajat saw this great work God had done in his life. And what happened? So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord. And his servant Moses. When they saw what God had done. It provoked this. It, it, it birthed this response in them. God I stand in awe of you. The fear of the Lord gripped their hearts. Which moved them to believe God even more. And to honor his servant. Amen. So the fear of the Lord. Is, it's something within us. That causes us to stand in awe of God. Whether it's in response to um, the presence of God in response to a work that God does in our lives uh, and brings us into this place where we uh, believe Him even more. When you come into the New Testament, the Greek word that's used in the context of the fear of the Lord is the, is the word, the Greek word, eulabia, which, which talks about godly fear, a holy fear. Holy fear, a holy reverence for God. And it really tries to bring together both the fear of God and the love of God. It mingles together the fear of God and the love of God. You know, if you only have the fear of God, then we walk like slaves. Because, you know, you're afraid if you don't go to church on Sunday, Monday is going to be terrible. And so you go to church. I mean, it enslaves you. On the other hand, if you only walk in this love of God, which does not have any understanding of the fear of the Lord, We end up with a reckless life. You do anything you want, God still loves you. 
But the New Testament understanding of the fear of God mingles both the fear of God and the love of God. Both go together and both describe our relationship with God. You enjoy God's love that totally liberates you, but you walk in the fear of God that keeps you liberated in godly living. Amen? And we need both. We need the love of God and the fear of God mingled in our relationship with God to, to walk in, in, in the proper understanding of the fear of God. Now what's interesting, if you turn me to Hebrews chapter 5, is that the Lord Jesus Christ himself walked in the fear of God. Hebrews chapter 5. Verse 7, Hebrews 5, verse 7. It's talking about Jesus in his earthly life. Hebrews 5, 7 says that in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard, let's read the rest of the verse, because of his godly fear. It's talking about the Son of God, that as he walked on the earth as the Son of Man, He prayed earnest prayers with intense supplications. But it says he was heard. Why was he heard? Because of his godly fear. Even Jesus walked in godly fear. In godly reverence towards the Father. Amen. And he was heard because of that. Because of his godly fear. Is what the Bible tells us here. So what I want to challenge us is this, that when we follow Jesus Christ, and we say, you know, we are following Jesus. Well, he has left us an example of walking in godly fear and walking in holy fear in this reverence for the Father. So if you turn over to the 12th chapter in Hebrews, the writer now invites us to walk in godly fear. Hebrews 12, 28, he says, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, Hebrews 12, 28. We are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Let us have grace, or let us receive grace, by which we may serve God acceptably. Now, how do you serve God acceptably? What's the rest of the verse? Let me hear you. With reverence and godly fear. It means this, that I could be serving God, but If I'm not doing it with reverence and godly fear, it may not be accepted. For my ministry, my serving God, to be acceptable to Him, it must be birthed out of reverence and godly fear. Are you all with me this morning? Amen? It's got to be birthed out of reverence and godly fear. And so, you know, this is a a big concern as as ministers of God, as we see what's happening globally about the... rebranding Christianity to be hep and cool, which maybe is okay. You want to be contemporary. You want to repackage the Christian faith. That's wonderful. But one thing we cannot lose is reverence and godly fear. Because the day you use, the day we lose reverence and godly fear, that day, no matter what we do, we cease being accepted by God. No matter how we repackage our Christian faith. Amen? So, as we attempt to, you know, be happy and cool, be relevant, be contemporary, do what, what you want. You cannot lose this inherent, essential ingredient of our Christian faith. What is it? We must serve God with reverence and godly fear. That's it. To be acceptable to God. So here's a key statement that I want to, uh, us to, um, just to condense and distill 
the, this whole message here. The true expression of the fear of God, of the fear of the Lord, is to so love, honor, and reverence God, that in every, in all my thought, in all my word, and all my deed, I love what He loves, and I hate what He hates. Amen? How can I say that I truly love the Lord? I truly, truly have the fear of, a God, of the Lord. Well, here's the true expression of it. If you and I are really walking in the fear of the Lord, we will so love, honor, reverence God. We will be so in awe of Him. We will hold Him in such high regard where we will, in our thought, in our word, in our deed, we will love what He loves. We will demonstrate that we love what He loves and we hate what He hates. That is the true expression of the fear of God. Look at these scriptures in the book of Proverbs with me. We just affirm this statement here. In the book of Proverbs, we're going to look at a couple of verses there. In Proverbs chapter 8, Proverbs 8, verse 13 is this. Proverbs eight thirteen says this. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance in the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. What is the fear of the Lord? Let me hear you. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. That's the definition. One of the aspects of the fear of God. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. What kind of things? Pride, arrogance, every evil way, and a perverse mouth speaking wrong things. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. You hate what God hates. So how do I know I'm walking in the fear of God? When you hate evil. When you hate pride and arrogance and every evil way and and a perverse mouth, things that speak lies or whatever. Anything that's wrong, spoken wrong. You hate it. You say, I will not have nothing to do with it. That demonstrates that we are walking in the fear of God. A couple of other verses that just reaffirm this in, 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 in chapter 16, Proverbs 16 and verse 6. In mercy and truth, Proverbs 16 verse 6. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. Because of the fear of God, I depart from there's something inside me, not enforced on me. Now we can enforce on people. Thou shall not chew gum in church. Thou shall not do this. and that. We can make it 200, 2000, thou shall not. But that's enforcing things on people. I mean, you do need some guidelines and that's okay. But really, if it comes from inside you, it's much better. Because the fear of the Lord will cause you and me to depart from evil. I'm not saying chewing gum is wrong and evil. I'm just saying, please. I'm just saying... There's something from within you that says, you've got to hate evil. What is it? It's the fear of, God, fear of the Lord. And that's so much better than us enforcing things on people. Do this and don't do that. The fear of God coming from inside us, causing us to depart from evil. And, and you, you and I, all, all of us face this in chapter 23 of verse 17, what's described in 23, 17 Proverbs. Proverbs 23, verse 17 says, Do not let your heart Envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. Now you go to your school, or you go to your college, and your friends seemingly have a great time doing all the wrong things. Or maybe in, the, in your workplace, they do all kinds of things, and, and uh, they seem to be having a great time. But the Bible says, listen, don't allow your heart to become jealous of sinners. What must you do? Keep yourself, be zealous for the fear of the Lord all day. Just keep yourself in the fear of the Lord. And if you keep yourself in the fear of God, then the fear of the Lord will keep you from sin. 
Amen. So when you're in the middle of, of uh, or in an environment where people are, you know, just doing whatever they want, sinning and, and, and seemingly having a great time, the Bible says you don't get jealous of that. You just be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Keep the fear of God, the reverence for God, the standing in awe of who God is. Keep that in your heart. And if you hold that in your heart, it will keep you from sin. It will cause you to depart from every evil way. It will cause you to hate what is wrong and love the things that please the heart of God. Amen. So I just want to do a few practical applications of walking in the fear of God before we close this morning. And then we will pick this up the last Sunday of this month. How does the fear of the Lord apply? How does it work out in everyday life? What, what areas would it affect? And here are only some of them. As we've been talking, the, the fear of the Lord will cause you and me to shun evil in our lives. It will cause you and me to shun evil. A great example is that of Joseph. You, you and I know the story of Joseph. In chapter 39 of Genesis, he was, you know, in, in Potiphar's house. He had this great place. He was, you know, just close to Potiphar. He was the cupbearer. He would take care of everything. I mean, you wanted access into Potiphar's house. You have to go through Joseph. And he had this great place. And the Bible says Potiphar had put everything in charge, everything he had in charge of, uh, in, in Joseph's hands. It's, Joseph, you be in charge I'm going to enjoy, I'll go hunting, go fishing, I'll do everything what I want. You just run this home for me. Most of the time, Potiphar was out of the house. And, and so Potiphar's wife had her eyes on Joseph. And the Bible says she repeatedly tried to seduce Joseph. And here was her appeal. Nobody is in the house. Nobody is in the house. Nobody is watching. Nobody will know this Joseph. Nobody will know. What was Joseph's response? Verse 9, Genesis 39, verse 9. Joseph says, How can I do this great wickedness and sin in the eyes of God? There are no human eyes around, but there is one pair of eyes that I really stand in awe of. It's the eyes of God. Amen. What you do in private, when nobody sees and knows, Reveals your true character. What you do when there are no human eyes. Reveals whether you and I genuinely have the fear of the Lord or not. And Joseph was a man who had the fear of God. And no human eyes were watching. He said, I can't sin before the eyes of the Lord. Amen. The fear of God will keep you and me from sin. Interestingly, the fear of the Lord will birth unity among his people. First Samuel chapter 11 has an interesting episode. This was just before Saul could assume uh, his role as king of all Israel, the first king of Israel. Samuel had just come and announced to people, Saul's going to be your king. And he was kind of in that transition of moving from a civilian to becoming the king, taking on responsibility. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 11, you read about some of the enemies of Israel who, who came to the people and said, you know, if you don't do what we say, if you don't meet our demands, 1 Samuel chapter 11, the men of Jabesh, they come over and uh, they say, you know, we'll put out your right eyes, we'll bring reproach on all Israel uh, if you don't do what we say. So Nahash the Ammonite uh, uh, speaks this way, he, he sends this warning. He says, listen, we're going to come in, we're going to pluck out your right eyes and, and, and so on and so forth. He's just threatening the people of Israel. Saul hears this and here's what he does. The, the Bible says the Spirit of God comes upon Saul. So this is like Saul beginning to experience the, the anointing of the Spirit of God that, that comes upon him as a king. The Spirit of God comes upon him. He takes an ox. He cuts it out into several pieces. 
puts it in the hands of messengers and he says, messengers, you go throughout all Israel, tell the people that if they don't come together, they'll be like this ox. And verse 7 says this, it says, uh, the latter part of verse 7, and the fear of the Lord fell on the people and they came out with one consent. That's an interesting way to generate the fear of the Lord in people. But I don't want to place so much emphasis on the ox. I want to place emphasis on the fact that the spirit of the Lord came upon this man. And then the spirit of God came on Saul, making him the leader he was supposed to be. It says the fear of God came upon all the people. They came out unitedly against a common enemy. Amen. What will the fear of the Lord do for you and me? It will cause us to come together. You look into the New Testament, the Bible says, submit to one another in the fear of God. Ephesians 5. Submit to one another. Why? In the fear of God. So walking in the fear of the Lord brings a sense of unity, a sense of togetherness, a sense of mutual submission among the people of God. And, and that's what you see in Acts chapter 9, verse 31. That when the early church, Acts 9, 31, it says, And the churches stood all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord. God's people were walking in the fear of the Lord, with godly reverence toward God. And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So there was harmony, there was peace in all these churches in Judea, Samaria, Galilee. And all these churches, there was harmony, there was peace, there was, there was this, this atmosphere where everybody was being edified in the Spirit. But what was the characteristic? What, was, what, was, what, was, what defined this? They were walking in the fear of God. Amen? So what I believe is this. I think, and I am convinced that if all of us, if the body of Christ, in, for example, the body of Christ in the city of Bangalore, if we walked in the fear of God, in a genuine fear of God, I don't think we'll have many divisions among us. Amen? If there was the genuine fear of God in the hearts of God's people in our city, or in the churches in our city. Because then, we will do what Ephesians 5 says, we'll submit to one another in the fear of God. Out of reverence for God, we will submit to one another. We'll walk in that kind of humility which says, hey, we're together. Another area of the fear of the Lord should affect us in everyday life is in, in leadership. Many of you sitting here this morning are leaders. Your leaders at home, responsible for your homes. Your leaders in your school or in your college. Your leaders in your workplace. You may be a team leader, a project manager. You may be a boss, whatever. You have some leadership responsibility on your life. Where you make decisions that affect people. Those who work for you, those who work with you, those who are in your home or in your school or college, whatever the context may be. And it is, the Bible repeats over and over again, that those in authority, one of the prerequisites is this, that we must walk in the fear of the Lord. In order to make righteous decisions. Look at these scriptures with me in 2 Samuel. Just look at a couple of them. 2 Samuel chapter 23. King David is speaking, so he knows something about leadership. This is towards the end of his time as king. He's been king now for almost 40 years or so, and, 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 and he knows what he's talking about. He says in 2 Samuel 23 and verse 3, he's kind of summing up his, his whole ministry. These are the last words of David. You know, this is my last message to you people, is what David is saying. And in verse 3 he says, The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me, 
He who rules over men must be just, must be fair, no injustice, no unrighteousness. He must rule in the fear of God. As a leader, you do it in the fear of God. You do it out of reverence for God. In your heart, in your mind, you know that you're actually representing God in that situation. Second Chronicles, the 19th chapter, I think is a very powerful passage. Second Chronicles 19. Jehoshaphat is in the process of setting up his kingdom. He's appointing judges in every city. People will handle the uh, civilian issues, the strife, the contention, make decisions for people, resolve conflicts, so on. He's appointing judges in every city. He's also challenging the people who serve in the temple to take on some sort of a leadership role. And this is what he counsels them with in Second Chronicles chapter 19. Verses 5 through 9, it says, Then he, that is Jehoshaphat, said, Judges in the land, throughout all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city. And he said to the judges, Take heed, or be careful what you are doing, for you do not judge for man, but for the Lord, who is with you in the judgment. Now therefore, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. I am appointing you in positions of leadership. I'm putting you in authority over people. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk in the fear of the Lord. Let the fear of the Lord be on you. Take care and do it. For there is no iniquity with the Lord our God. No partiality. No taking of bribes. Saying guys listen. What you're doing. You're doing it for the Lord. As his representative. He's with you in judgment. But do it in the fear of the Lord. He continues, moreover in Jerusalem for the judgment of the Lord and for controversies, Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites and the priests and some of the chief fathers of Israel when they returned to Jerusalem. He's, now he's telling even the priests to be involved in, in, in the administration. And in, in verse 9 he says, And he commanded them saying, Thus shall you act in the fear of the Lord faithfully and with a loyal heart. He says, Whatever you do, do it with the fear of God in your heart. As leaders, making decisions for people, do it with this in your heart. Nehemiah is a great character in the Old Testament to study. So if you'll go with me to the book of Nehemiah. We don't know too much about his early days. The whole book begins with uh, Nehemiah in a very prominent position. He's a cupbearer to the Persian king. A very, very influential place. I mean, you want anything done, just talk to Nehemiah. He'll put, the, put a word in for you and you get it done. Very, very prominent position. And out of that, God gives him his assignment. He says, I want you to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah gives up his place of influence, his position, his career, whatever he had, to pursue the assignment that God has for his life. So he goes back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And he's successful in that. People follow him, follow his leadership. And the walls are in the process of being rebuilt. But in the midst of all that, as he's governor of the people over Judah, of the Jewish people, you see something so outstanding in his character. In Nehemiah chapter 5, he sums it up this way. In Nehemiah chapter 5, getting ready to close here. Verses 14 and 15. Nehemiah says, Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be the governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year until the 32nd year of the king, that's over 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions. Meaning, what governors are entitled to, we didn't take it. Verse 15, But the former governors who were before me, 
laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even the servants bore rule over the people. I mean, it's like, you know, there is the minister and there's the three levels of peons he has. They all took advantage of the minister's position. Yes, even the servants bore rule over the people. But I did not do so. Why, Nehemiah? Why didn't you do it? Let's read the rest of the verse together. Because of the fear of God. And Nehemiah was in such a position. He was a governor of the Jewish people. He had the right to make a demand for what he was entitled to. He said, all you people, you must take care of me. I'm your governor. The governor's provisions are all this. You need to bring that into me. The previous governors took it by force. Even though the situation of the people was very bad. They had been robbed. They had been oppressed by the Babylonians. The condition was very bad. But the previous governors took it anyway. They didn't care about the condition of the people. But Nehemiah said, you know, I chose not to do it. Why? Because of the fear of God. There was something in me that made me stand in awe of God. Which said, you know, Nehemiah, don't do this. The people are not in, 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 a, in a privileged position. The people have, been, uh, have gone through a very difficult time. Now is not the time. To take what you are entitled to. Now is not the time. Don't do it. Because of the fear of God. Would to God that you and I as leaders would walk this way. In the fear of God. Amen. Another area that the fear of God would work out in everyday life. Is standing strong in persecution. You know, Daniel is a great example there. Even though the king said, you know, I have to throw you, Daniel, into the den of lions. He had more fear for God than for the king. And so he said, I will not compromise on my faith. He stood strong in the middle of persecution. The fear of God, let the fear of God so dominate you, it makes you fearless of man. The last thought I want to conclude with is this, that the walk in the spirit is really a walk in the fear of God. Now we hear a lot about the move of the Spirit of God and I'm all for it. I'm all for the outpouring, the moving of the Spirit of God. I'm all for the signs, the wonders, the miracles of God. We must pursue it. And we must ask God for it. We must desire for more of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I'm all for it. But here's another word of caution. We must approach this with caution because sometimes in our whole approach of the, fear of the Spirit of God and the anointing of God, we forget that The spirit of the Lord is also the spirit of the fear of the Lord. In Isaiah 11 chapter verses 2 and 3, the uh, the prophet Isaiah uh, is speaking about the Messiah, which is Jesus. He says in verse 2, the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. And then he gives us the sevenfold facets, sevenfold facets of the Holy Spirit. He talks about him as the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel, of might, of knowledge, And the fear of the Lord. So the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Meaning when the Holy Spirit is moving, you can be sure that there is a sense of the fear of the Lord being established in the hearts of people. If that is not happening, then we need to question, is it the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Amen? And what will this do? Verse 3, Isaiah 11 verse 3, talking, talking about the Messiah. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. The Messiah delights in this, in walking in holy reverence for God, in the fear of the Lord. 
and therefore he will not judge up the hearing of his ears, nor decide by the sight of his eyes. Meaning he's not going to be uh, making decisions simply by what he hears and what he sees. He's going to be making decisions because of the fear of the Lord. Amen. So what is the walk in the spirit? I believe one of the facets of walking in the spirit is really you and me walking in the fear of God. The Holy Spirit doesn't, or if we say we are walking in the spirit, but it's not causing us to walk in godly reverence, in this awe of God, in this in a place where we recognize God for who He is and, and therefore respond that way, then we need a question, are we really walking in the Spirit of God? Amen? We're going to stop here. We'll continue this in two weeks as we discover the fear, as we try to understand what the fear of the Lord is all about. But I want to conclude here with this, the same verse we began with, by humility and the fear of the Lord. Our riches, honor, and a long life. You and I need to walk in the sphere of God. To stand off him, to have a holy reverence for him, a godly fear of him. And what is what I want you to take back with you. The true expression of the fear of the Lord is that I so love, honor, reverence God that in my thought, in my word, and in my deed, I love what he loves and I hate what he hates. That's the fear of the Lord. Amen. Can we rise up to our feet and let's just pray for a few moments and say, God, impart to me a genuine fear of the Lord. I pause and I ask myself the question, do I really have the fear of God in my heart? Or am I just moving along with religion, so to speak? Am I just going with the flow? You know, I got a Christian name. I, I'm supposed to go to church. I'm supposed to do these things. So I do them. But do I really have the fear of the Lord in my heart? Do I really stand in awe of this God? So much so that if God were to speak to me like he spoke to Abraham and said, take your son, your only son, and offer him as a sacrifice. I would do it because of the fear of God. I want us to take a moment to pray. And I'll just ask the team to come up, please. And help us in a few moments of just seeking God. And I want us to ask God for the grace to walk in reverence and godly fear. And say, God, we want this. We increase the fear of the Lord in our hearts. Help us to go beyond a, a, a religion. Go beyond a form that we embrace. Go beyond the motion of doing certain Christian things and come to a place where there is genuine fear of God in our hearts because the fear of the Lord will cause me to depart from evil. The fear of the Lord will cause me to be a righteous leader. The fear of the Lord will cause me to walk in submission to those around me. The fear of the Lord will cause me to stand strong in the midst of persecution because I fear God more than I fear man. The fear of God will cause me to walk in the Spirit. Can we just pray and say, God, increase the fear of God in our hearts. Help me to really reverence you, really honor and love you. So that God, I will love what you love, I'll hate what you hate. I'll demonstrate that in my thought, in my word, and in my action. Could we just pray this morning and say, God, create in my heart a genuine fear of God. I truly stand off you and I so hold you in regard and respect that I will walk in godly fear increase Lord the fear of God in our hearts and our lives we pray I stand I stand in all of you I stand, I stand
Father, we just thank you for this time in your presence, this time in your word, Lord. Father, even as we go from this place, as we go through the rest of this day and we go through the week ahead, continue to nurture this understanding in our hearts. Continue to build this in our hearts, O God. Of what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord. All day long. In every circumstance. In every situation that we encounter. This week. Help us to walk in the fear of God. With a holy reverence. For the God we serve. The God we represent. The God we claim to love. And let this word become effective in our lives. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. May it become effective, God, in every area of our lives. We thank you. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.